Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. My name is Jesse Horney, and if I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill, and this summer we are going through the book of 1 John. We just started last week with the first couple verses, and today we're going to continue with uh, just a few more verses. We're taking it nice and slow, so if you want to um, open your Bible with me, we're going to be in chapter 1 and start in verse 5, and I'm just going to get right into it. I have so many slides, so I'll just tell you when it's the next one, David. Okay. All right. This is the message. Remember, John's talking to us. John, the beloved disciple. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Okay. Always a thrill when uh, we get to talk about sin and wickedness and calling God a liar. Such a fun Sunday. Uh, It reminded me, I was, it made me laugh because I was thinking this one time my kids went to this EBS at like kind of a fundamentalist Baptist church. It's a long story. My sister took them, but I'll never forget um, one of their take-home crafts that I saw when I, because I was out of town and I got back and found some of the stuff that they brought home with them. And one of the little papers had this little owl wearing glasses and he was standing on top of a globe and the speech bubble above his head was talking about the depravity of a fallen world full of wicked people. <laughs> like a little owl. And I was like, wow, this owl really has a lot to say to these first graders. <laughs> was kind of a big message for the the mode of communication um it's just not language that we like to toss around a lot anymore you know wickedness and sin the word depravity because <laughs> uh, we don't want to hurt feelings or slam people over the head their badness or make ourselves feel guilty 
and we've also tasted the fruit of fundamentalism and shame-based religion, and we want to get as far away from that as possible. But the Bible is pretty clear about sin and the division between light and darkness. And we see in these verses John using um, this sort of logical line of consequences to show us what happens based on what we choose. Did you guys ever take logic in high school or college? Yeah, Clint. Oh, my gosh. Remember, you had to help me with my homework. I failed it the first time. So hard. I know, but uh, Clint definitely tutored me through some of it. it I, um, I really loved logic because it helped me see that, you know, I love language. Um, but what I could see through that class was that language actually isn't that different from mathematics, especially when it comes to an argument, um, because you can plot statements like in a logic formula, and then you end up with either a truth or a fallacy. Two plus two equals four, two plus two equals five. There's a truth or a lie, and logic is this really interesting way of plotting out arguments. Um, and we actually see John doing this here thousands of years ago. This isn't something that we invented. And he's speaking all throughout this in these things called conditional statements. You probably know them well, also known as if-then statements. Yeah, so I dug way back into my logic homework. And I actually, you guys know I never use slides because I'm not much of a visual person, but I sorted these verses out into if-then statements um, because I think that it's going to help us see what John's talking about and help us see what it means in our own lives. Ultimately, so that we can do the same thing that we're always trying to do is practice hearing what God might be saying to us and then doing what he's telling us to do. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to start with the premise. Not slide two. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So the first thing we have to decide is if we believe the premise. Can we agree to this? And when we're talking about light here, um, John's using the word light to declare God's holiness, his otherness, his righteousness. It's a morality statement. It's perfect morality. He's announcing God's purity in action and God's purity in intent. So the first thing we have to do is decide, do we accept the premise? Great. One yes. We'll go on. <laughs> Slide two. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So... We're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. So we've accepted the premise, okay, God is light. If we say that we're with God and we're for God, but we keep living in spiritual darkness, and if spiritual darkness is the opposite of God, then it means that we're living in the opposite way of God's way, which means we're living without pure intentions, we're living without pure actions, and that we aren't holy and set apart. Our lives look just like everybody else's lives, 
and our decisions look just like everybody else's decisions. And then we're lying. We can't have both. John loves to write with these contradictions. They actually have a name. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, Basically, like John loves to plot things on two sides because when we compare two things, it reveals truth about both and uses it to show us that we can't have two opposite things at once. So if we believe that God is light and there's no darkness in him at all, and we say that we want to follow God, we can't live in the dark. But how do we know if we're living in the dark or in the light? What does it look like? John tells us. So, but, all right, if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then number one, we have fellowship with one another. And number two, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So we believe that God is light and that there's no darkness in him at all. And we want to be people who follow God. And so we're asking ourselves, well, how do we know if we're people who are following God? Do we have fellowship with one another? And Bob um, talked a little bit about this last week, this word fellowship, because we um, just really made it sort of a jello salad kind of a word. <laughs> like, meet me in the fellowship hall. You know, let's have some fellowship over coffee. But the the strength of the word that, spirit of the word has somehow been lost in our translation to English and not only in our translation to English but in our translation to our daily lives this kind of fellowship um, do you remember the word that it is in Greek koinonia it's like the, the most intimate um, vulnerable sweetest kind of connection that you can have with people it is not a casual conversation in the lobby that's a little bit of fellowship. That's taking steps towards fellowship. But the kind of fellowship that tells us that we're God's people is the kind of fellowship that says that we're honest with each other, that we advocate for each other, and that we lead each other closer to God. So that's one way we'll know. Do we have that kind of fellowship with the people in our lives? And then the other way that we'll know if we're living as God is in the light is if we believe that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So that's kind of another premise that we have to believe. And then, um, then we have to ask, right, because we're looking at these contradictions. One way is to live in the light. Another way is to live in the dark. John does not leave room for the gray, literally, like there's no twilight version of following Jesus here. It is the light of the dawn it is the dark of the night what does it look like when we're living in darkness if we claim we have no sin then we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth so the darkness as usual starts with a lie and this lie starts with a lie to ourselves by claiming that we don't have sin right? And this isn't just like a grand scale, well, I've, I obviously have sin. I believe that. This is like even in the microcosm relationships of our lives. So we're in an argument, but it's not our fault. We did the wrong thing, but we're justified in doing it. We aren't the problem. Everybody else is. 
we're only fooling ourselves. There's <laughs> there's this really crazy thing that happens when, uh, like, in our uh, discipleship groups, when we confess something to each other, it, it's like this huge weight on your shoulder, you know, and you're like dreading doing it, and then. And then, like, with some of the women that I meet with will say this thing, like, that God has told us. And literally never has anyone had a look of surprise on their face. Like, oh, I didn't know that you struggled with that. We know each other's stuff. The thing that you think is so secret, the thing that no one knows, the people who love you know. If you've been in a close friendship, if you've been in a marriage, even if you've just been a coworker, people know what's wrong with you. Just like you know what's wrong with them. Because it's hard to live in community with each other. So when we claim we have no sin, we're lying to ourselves and we're not living in the truth. Which means, so if living in the darkness means that we claim we have no sin, living in the light actually starts with confession. John says, if we confess our sins to him, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all wickedness. It's not our job to get cleaned up. It's not our work to forgive ourselves. I know I say this all the time, but it's also important to remember that you can't be the problem and the solution. Part of the lie that we tell ourselves when we claim we have no sin is this really insidious little belief we have that we can fix ourselves. And that if I don't say it out loud, I'll just do better tomorrow. And if I don't really admit to you my problem, it gives me more room to work on myself and to be more presentable the next time that I'm with you. I leave a family function and I have regrets over what I've said. I'm not going to confess to the people that I said it to that I know it was wrong. I'm just going to kind of quietly stew over it and have a lot of fake conversations in my mind fixing it, and then I know that I'll do better next time. That's a lie to ourselves, a lie that we can fix the problem, even though we are the problem. We need God to forgive us and make us clean and to make us whole again, but first we have to admit that we need forgiveness in the first place because John says if we claimed we have not sinned then we're calling God a liar and if we claim we have not sinned then we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts if we claim we have not sinned, then we call God a liar. And if we claim we have not sinned, then we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Not that his word has a small place, or not that his word is on the margins of our lives, but that his word has no place in our hearts. John 
is a really kind leader. Um, the title of this sermon series is Beloved for a lot of reasons. He's the beloved disciple, but he also speaks to his audience thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, the same way that God speaks to us today, which is with this sense of beloved. And his next verse says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But, who wrote that? I like big butts, I do, especially here, because this is important, because this is heavy. If anyone does sin, then we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the one who's truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. That's good news. The word gospel means good news. And John here is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that not only... Do we not have to try and save ourselves or change ourselves to live in the light of God? That even though we started in the dark, we have an advocate. We don't always act in purity, but Jesus is righteous for us. Jesus sacrificed himself so that you didn't have to try to find a way to save yourself or the people around you because Jesus did the work. The gospel is the good news that even though we were born into darkness, and, and as much as the world wants to tell you that's not true, and as much as you want to tell yourself that that's not true, that you're a good person, that you're trying hard, we know, we know when we hurt people, and we know when we act without pure intent. We feel that darkness. We know when we're with other people who are living in the darkness. It feels different. And I know I've talked to you guys about that before, that we have a lot of words for that swirling around um, our, our shared language right now, our culture about people's vibes and, you know, leave it at the door. And what, they're, what people are really talking about is this sense that the Holy Spirit gives us even before we've stepped into the light this gift of recognizing the darkness. We cannot step towards the light without the faith that God gives us. It's this really crazy circle of reasoning. I can't step towards God until God gives me the faith to step towards God. This is gospel. This is good news. We're born in darkness, but then God puts something in us that tells us, that helps us to recognize this isn't what I want. These broken relationships, this is not what I want. And then God extends his hand of invitation to come into the light, to believe the premise that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And when we step into the light of God, he will banish the darkness from us as well. So that when we come into the room, when we come into a relationship, when we come into fellowship, we get to bring the light of God with us. 
between <clears throat> here and here is this really important um, work of repentance. And, and repentance um, really has to do with turning, turning our minds, even turning our bodies in some ways. So imagine you're facing away from what is good. You're facing the darkness. And you know there's an invitation to the light. Repentance is turning and walking towards the light. But inherent in the turn is a change. And that word metanoia, the, the word for repentance, is this, in its very essence, a transformation, a change, a turning towards what is good. And so we begin to feel this call the first time that we follow Jesus, and then every other time that we have to turn and follow Jesus again. And I have this um, quote from Dallas Willard about it that I really like, talking about this, <clears throat> this sense in us that we know that things aren't right. Um, we then must change from within. And that's what most of us truly want. The repentance in which we pine for our life and world to really be different. The authentic metanoia, which Christ opens to us in his gospel, comes upon us as we're given a vision of the majesty, holiness, and goodness of God. It's a vision sufficient to impart a vivid realization of our terrible readiness to mistrust God and hurt others and ourselves as we take things into our own hands. And this sharp, heartbreaking realization of our condition silences all our argument and hair-splitting rationalization. It makes us simultaneously recoil from God because we believe when we realize that he also sees us for what we are and yet reach out for help and refuge in him. That is just one of the most beautiful descriptions of repentance I've ever heard. Recoiling, recoiling from what we know that we are and yet understanding that God is reaching towards us and that we can reach back towards him. We can't understand the darkness until we experience the light, because otherwise we adapt. We fumble around the room at night. We learn the edges of the furniture, how many steps to take in each direction without getting hurt. And we trick ourselves into thinking that we're just fine in the dark. This is actually how we like to live our lives. Think of how small we have to live. Think of the confines of a room when we can't find a way out. Opening our eyes and letting the God light illuminate the shadows of our lives isn't just so we can stop sinning. It's also so that we can start living. Moving around, taking steps forward, leaving the dark, tiny places that we've cultivated with some sort of strange notion that we're safer huddled in the dark than we are out in the open light. Honesty and owning our sin, <clears throat> it's not as dangerous and scary as the devil and the world wants you to believe. We have to get vulnerable and honest in confession so that we can have fellowship with God and so that we can have true fellowship with each other. 
true deep companionship with God and his people, that's the mark of living in the light. And that fellowship, the koinonia that we long for, you guys, it requires vulnerability. So we're going to practice some vulnerability through confession right now. Settle down, settle down. I know you're excited. <laughs> I could go on and on about what I think we lost when we lost confession as a spiritual discipline after the Reformation. We got pretty scared of confession. We got kind of scared of anything that had to do with mediation between us and God. Rightly so. It was abused. But we, uh, we also lost the gift of confession. Because the gift of confession is that once we say something, it loses its power. The gift of confession is that once we say something, shame is lifted off of our shoulders. But we haven't really found a new way to do it yet. So we're going to practice. Um, but I'd also really love to reframe confession for you today. Obviously, I'm not your priest. As I said in the meeting this morning, I wore shorts today, so I could never be a good priest. Or a Catholic, though I've always wanted to be. That's a different thing for a different time. I just liked all the incense and Latin. <clears throat> We're going to go way back in time, though, to one of our earliest church fathers. Because there, there's such a nugget of truth and goodness to confession. And so we're going to reach back in history and believe that the things that the people who saw Jesus and saw his disciples said were true are actually true. Okay, this is from a guy named Origen. The really early father of the church. This is so beautiful. Jesus, my feet are dirty. Come even as a slave to me. Pour water into your bowl. Come and wash my feet. In asking such a thing, I know I'm overbold, but I dread what was threatened when you said to me, if I do not wash your feet, I have no fellowship with you. Wash my feet then, because I long for your What a thing to say to Jesus. Confessing our sins is a crucial element of being people who live in God's light. Secret sin is kept in the dark, and it keeps us with it. Confession lifts shame off our shoulders and lets us into the light, into fellowship with our Father and with each other. You guys, confession is allowing Jesus to wash our dirty. Well, um, before we take communion today, I'm going to have the band come back up, and we're going to confess our sins. Not into the microphone. No little owls up here declaring your depravity. Just me. So I want you to get comfy and take a few deep breaths with me. And center yourselves in your belovedness. 
start there. Jesus taught through questions. And I'm going to lead us through confession using questions. Do you believe that God is light? Imagine what that might mean. As we've been listening today, is there any particular sin or place of darkness in your life that God is bringing to your mind? Confess your sin to Jesus. Tell him what's heavy on your heart. Really walk around that room that we talked about. Feel the edges of the things that you've been avoiding. confess our sins. God is faithful and God is just and God forgives us. You are forgiven. Jesus is advocating for you right now. He is washing your feet even as we speak. He's talking to the Father about you. And the name that he's using for you is my beloved. Imagine the look on the face of the Father. Imagine the look on the face of Jesus as they speak about you.
ask. <laughs> ask God if there's anyone that you need to talk to about this sin. Any reconciliation or repairs? Any practical steps that he's asking you to take? This is the ancient way to confess, to listen to the Father's voice, and then to go and do what he says. When you're ready, come and take communion as an act of fellowship with God and with each other. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.